You're listening to Distilling Theology. I'm Blake. And I'm Justin. This is a new podcast combining discussions of theology and distilled spirits. And dad jokes. Amen. What's wrong with you people? You're not David. I don't know why you're clapping. I'm talking about you. Fatality. You know... Starting a podcast about theology and distilled spirits is whiskey business. <laughs> I said that with a straight face. This is Distilling Theology. Welcome back to another episode of Distilling Theology. Uh, tonight I am very excited for a number of reasons. Um, first of all, uh, we have a great drink before us this evening. I'm very excited about it. Uh, sent in to us uh, by a friend of ours is uh, a sample, Samuel Schabel. I believe is how it's pronounced, like wobble. <laughs> uh, and I'm very excited about it. Um, on top of that, the topic we are going to be speaking about tonight is absolutely, utterly, and entirely imperative and relevant in today's culture for the condition of the church in the West um, in particular. Um, but just, I think, the condition of the church in general throughout the globe, I think this is a very important topic uh, to continually revisit um, because it it impacts, I mean, pretty much every aspect of the Christian life and worship and everything else. So, boom, it's going to be a fun night. Um, Blake, why don't you tell us a little bit about the distillery by which we are drinking their beverage? And uh, and from there, we will uh, break into the glass and take a sippy. I like that. All right, so... Thank you again to Sam for sending us a sample. We super appreciate it. And uh, Sam got a Distilling Theology Glencairn glass as well as a as a thank you, because he actually sent us a couple of samples, which we'll be trying over the course of the show, uh, particularly over uh, the beginning of 2020. But the High West Distillery is from Park City, Utah. Now, you don't typically think of like out west as being the whiskey capital like in the states you think of kentucky um however in utah in utah i think of the mormons well it's funny you say that because in this book that i have about the world whiskey atlas uh somebody says was whiskey in the west just cowboys drinking red eye or was it something else and uh the mormons made whiskey here sir richard burton wrote about it when he came to salt lake city to try and convert people to islam so that's a thing <laughs> that i didn't know that I wanted to know about, but, and people say distilled spirits and theology don't go hand in hand. <laughs> However, fortunately, High West is not involved in those shenanigans. Basically, it was somebody who came from a, a chemistry background. And so he wanted to take this like chemical understanding of how whiskey works and apply it to distillation. The problem is, as we all have discussed numerous times, uh, whiskey has to sit in barrels for a long period of time before you can really sell it. And the problem with that is you've put all this money into equipment and resources and you have no product and no way to make a profit. So what High West did, which is what many distilleries have done, is bought whiskeys that were already aged. In this case, they bought rye and bourbons from the MGP distillery in Indiana and blended them with other things uh, under their bottlings of Rendezvous Rye and things like that. Now they've got their feet under them, and because of the initial surge they were able to make from the sale of those whiskeys, they now have their product line. So which expression are we sipping tonight? What has been sent our way? Well, <clears throat> it's been a while since we've had a rye. 
Hopefully tonight, things don't it, go awry tonight. Uh, <laughs> uh, tonight is uh, the High Wesk Double Rye, West? which I'm very third. High Wesk, yes, I've done it again. I can't help it. Uh, high West. <laughs> uh, high West Double Rye. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> it's actually a blend of two different rye whiskeys. It's created to be twice as spicy so they say, think cinnamon and nutmeg and cloves as your average rye whiskey. Or post-millennialists. <laughs> like me. Uh, <laughs> hey. Um, Double spiced. So there's a little bit of a, a, a story on the back label. Uh, it says, we get asked all the time, why double? Um, and why exclamation point? Because um, it's, a, it's a double rye with an exclamation point after it. Uh, double because the whiskey is created from two different rye whiskeys, both a minimum of two years old. Uh, and then the explanation point is to, signif- uh, to signify our aim with the whiskey, to showcase a beautiful rye uh, and create a sp- the spiciest rye whiskey in the world. Should be interesting. I'm excited. I have not had this yet, so I'm pretty excited about it. We think we did yeah, that. The younger rye sourced by High West is produced in a column still and tastes of cinnamon, clove, um, eucalyptus buttons, and evergreen gin-like flavors. The older rye distilled by High West also made a, um, made using a pot still adds a richer, bolder character and just enough caramel sweetness and woody vanilla richness to claim the bite, to calm the bite of the younger rye. The resulting combination is bold, balanced, complex, and perfect for mixing. <clears throat> we recommend trying a double rye exclamation point Manhattan or old fashioned. It's absolutely superb for sipping alone or sip sharing with other cowboys and good looking strangers. <clears throat> Amen. It. So, this ought to be interesting. Um, what are you getting off the nose, Blake? It's minty. <laughs> I was just about to say, I get, like, mint and menthol. Um, yep. I still get those, like, typical. It's licorice. There's apple as well. Mm-hmm. But it's not clashy. It's it's all kind of working together. No, it'd be like a really, like a really, um, like one of those apples that's really got a lot of bite to it. Yeah. It's like a very, yes, a very crisp apple. Cinnamon. Mm-hmm. There's almost like um, <clears throat> there's a darkness to it, though. Almost like a like in the in the back of the nose, it's almost like a chocolate or something like that. You don't know the power of the dark side. <laughs> For the record, I, I have a head cold right now, so um, I, <laughs> my voice may sound. It's my turn. My yeah. turn to have the funny voice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, last That's couple right. of episodes, I had laryngitis yeah. and now well, Blake's. Fighting off a cold, man we'll, cold, no less. It is the man. It is. It is. We'll fix it in post. All right. Let's, uh, I'm, I'm very like curious to taste this thing. He yeah, had a note on here that says, this is delicious. Yeah. It literally says right at the bottom of the little bottle. By the way, when we get sample bottles, this is what they look like. Well, we usually fill these only Patreon and... can see that, but. Yep. Uh, for those of you who can't see it, it's smaller than my Glencairn glass. Yes. Um, this is Delicious. So let's get after this it. This is Sparta. <laughs> this is whiskey. <laughs> wow. <clears throat> Ooh, that is an experience. One might say... Never mind. <laughs> that is spicy. You know what this is? Definitely spicy. <laughs> Go ahead. This this tastes like listening to a Paul Washer sermon. 
I don't know why you're clapping. I'm talking about you. You can you can feel the <laughs> sanctification in your mouth. <laughs> uh, wow, that's, yeah, there's, there's a lot there's, of happening. Yeah, there's like spice. There's that menthol kind of mint you get, like after the after the spice settles. Yeah. Um. Woo. We both made the exact same face. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were like, oh, there's like the, um, the spicy guy gif. The, <laughs> there's definitely uh, there's definitely honey in there. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, it's almost like an herb. You know what it smells like when you mix the smell and the taste? It's almost like an herbal tea. Yeah, dude. You know what? This is going to sound weird, but because my family got an air fryer for Christmas, mm. we've been making different wings. Now, I I do not do spicy food. I do, for the record. I'm happy for you. <laughs> I I just tear up and and give up. It, it's I know my limits. My brother likes spicy food. I tried some of his spicy wings. They were too much for me. But this reminds me like there is almost a, a peppery spice mm. in the middle. Mm. And I don't know my spicy peppers well enough to give it a quality. But you, you get a little bit of that. Like there's definitely like something not that I wouldn't normally think of in, in whiskey. That's more of something I would taste in mezcal. There's definitely some sort of spiciness to it that gives it more than just a bite, but more like a longer lasting kick almost, yeah. which is good. And then you can, once it settles, like the more you sip it, it's getting smoother. Yes, it is. You know that, I mean? that initial sip, it's kind of similar to the way when you first drink a really peaty scotch. Mm. You're just like, what is going on? Like, it's really overwhelming. And then you start to settle it and you're like, okay, this is actually great. But it takes yeah. that, you, you you have to orient to what's happening. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, context. It, as it sits, you get a lot more of the cinnamon and the mint. Yeah. You get more of the honey and, and so on. It's good. That's really good. Yeah. It's, uh, that's really a whole experience. Sam, you're right. This is deliciousness. <laughs> we love so it. So speaking of spicy, <clears throat> let's talk about a spicy topic that is sola scriptura. In other words, scripture alone as mm. being the authority for the Christian, the sole authority, the end all be all, the principium, if you will. If only there was a, a way for us to find this phrase. Hmm. I'm going to borrow from uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter one of Holy Scripture. Convenient. Although the light of nature and the works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God as to leave men inexcusable, yet are they not sufficient to give that knowledge of God and of his will, which is necessary unto salvation. Therefore, it pleased the Lord at sundry times and in diverse manners to reveal himself and to declare his will unto the church, and afterwards, for the better preserving and propagating of the truth, and for the more sure establishment and comfort of the church against the corruption of the flesh and the malice of Satan and of the world, to commit the same holy unto writing." which maketh the holy scriptures to be most necessary, those former ways of God revealing his will unto his people now being ceased. Man, that sounds like a, just a total side note here, but that last sentence is very cessationist sounding, just Ooh. saying. Well, when we get to pneumatology, or the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, we'll talk about the gifts of the Spirit and continuationism and cessationism. Me either, but we're gonna we're gonna shelve that for now. Yes, and uh, I, I will add the only um, thing that the 1689 adds to that uh, particular section um, is right in the very beginning. It starts off with the Holy Scripture is the only sufficient, certain, and infallible rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. Sure, and then it continues on with the. Although light nature, etc., which that is <clears throat> echoed in uh, one nine of the Westminster, the infallible rule, yeah. or that's interpretation. But yeah, anyways, it is also echoed in the Westminster. But indeed, 
Well, how do we know, Justin, that the Bible is the Word of God? <laughs> Excellent question. If we break open one of the many catechisms, because mm. uh, there are many, but in my case as a Baptist, I typically refer to Keech's uh, catechism from, I believe it's 1680, um, also known as the Baptist Catechism. The answer to that question uh, is quite simple. The Bible evidences itself to be God's Word by the heavenliness of its doctrine, first of all, the unity of its parts, its power to convert sinners. Think about that. It has power to convert mm. sinners and to edify saints. But the Spirit of God only, bearing witness by and with the Scripture in our hearts, is able to fully persuade us that the Bible is indeed God's Word. Forget who, I, who, who it was. Perhaps it was Lewis even that said this. But you don't need to defend the Scriptures. You just lose it like a lion, and it can hmm. defend itself. Um, so essentially, you have the Scriptures which are self-evident, abundantly self-evident, not only by the contents of Scripture, the unity of Scripture, um, the impact and the power of Scripture, but ultimately we know... Uh, with assurance and security um, based on the way that the Holy Spirit illuminates that to us and evidences it to us in our life as well. So you have the combination of the Holy Spirit being in us and then the scriptures being self-evident, withstanding all the scrutiny you can possibly throw at them. Uh, mm. You combine those two things and there is an assurance like no other. Amen. Speaking of the testimony of scripture, what does scripture say of itself? Well, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul writes to the young Timothy, uh, in verse 16, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, in order that the person of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. And that word inspired, I'm not a Greek scholar, so I'm not going to attempt to pronounce that word. But from what I understand of it, it's inspired isn't really the right phrase. Like Paul's actually kind of creating a, a term here, God breathed. Yes, uh, it, it would almost be better to use the phrase expired because inspire would be like breathing in and expiration mm. would be breathing out if, if we're getting really technical with language, which I've of heard course, translations the say idea. they were carried along, you know, they were carried mm. along by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And this idea that the whole testimony of scripture is the word of God and it is profitable for all these things, ultimately for faith and practice, which is what Westminster and... London Baptist affirm and the Heidelberg Catechism. You know, you and I both started in quoting in confessions and, and catechisms on an episode about sola scriptura, which might make people spin a little. So I wanted to address that. And I'll, I'm sure you have a, a thought to follow this up. But the brief thought is these documents we're referencing are a, we, we talked about this before, but it's a phrase of saying, this is what I, I believe the Bible says about these topics. This is my interpretation of the scripture, and I'm in agreement with the men who faithfully wrote this down. Now, if the catechism or the confession is errant or disagrees with the scripture, then we go to scripture. That's And, and that's the whole point why the, the London Baptists and the Westminster both start with of the Holy Scriptures, and that the yeah. scripture is the only rule for faith and practice. These documents only have efficacy or strength to them insofar as they faithfully represent the teaching of Holy Scripture. Right. I always liken it to people who who are unfamiliar with what the confessions are hmm. um, or who ask why I, I might refer to a confession. Um, because you get a lot of that now. People don't just don't know our history and they don't know where these things come from. Sure. Um, I've always said, like, you, you go to a church's website and they you typically have like a a section about us and it says, what do we believe? Well, this is about the most extensive and expansive <laughs> book of what do we believe as Christians, as Baptists, mm. as Presbyterians, as whatever. 
what do we believe? This is what we believe. And then it covers every facet of doctrine that you can really come to comprehend. Um, all the important issues, all the significant issues are really summed up in these these confessions. So it would make sense to start off by saying, because we're, we're either going to say we believe scripture because this, mm. uh, and, and we believe scripture alone because of this, or we just repeat what our forefathers have been telling us uh, mm. and that we agree with in significantly more profound and deep ways. Um, and we just affirm that. So mm. it's not as though we're referring to these documents as authoritative in the sense that they have any authority as far as truth. Mm. Um, yeah. But they just affirm the truth that we already believe. Absolutely. <clears throat> There's a quote uh, from Ligonier.org in an article about Sola Scriptura by John MacArthur. And he says that this Reformation principle has to do with the sufficiency of Scripture as our supreme authority in all matters. It simply means that all truth necessary for our salvation and spiritual life is taught either explicitly or implicitly in Scripture. It is not a claim that all truth of every kind is found in Scripture. For example, it has little to nothing to do with DNA structures, microbiology, the rules of Chinese grammar, or rocket scientists. Scripture is a more sure word standing above all other truth in its authority and certainty. He also makes a statement that it doesn't mean like scripture silent on many topics and mm. it doesn't claim that it's exhaustive in the in examining the, the full teaching of what Jesus had to say or what was revealed. It means that everything that's necessary, everything binding on our consciences and everything God requires of us is given to us in scripture. And he pulls that from Second uh, Peter 1 verse 3, where it says, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So, like, yeah, by God's yeah. grace, we have everything that we need for life and godliness. And that's, that's the that, point. Right, right. You can compare that easily to, to, to mimic what Paul is saying to Timothy in yeah. the it literally says that scripture is sufficient to make the God, man of God complete, thoroughly furnished for yeah. every good work. I mean, th when you think about that, and, you know, they had quite a lot of scripture at that point. The fact that what they had was enough, efficient, mm. sufficient, capable, powerful enough to complete, to complete a man of God mm. so that he can do every good work uh, that God has laid out for us. Um I mean, yeah. <laughs> if that doesn't scream sufficiency of scripture, I don't know what does. Well, it's interesting because this whole thing comes up because Martin Luther in the Protestant Reformation, which we talked about explicitly in our Reformation Day episode and have been referencing throughout the Solas series, he made the statement at the Diet of Worms when he was being tried for his statements and his theses and his books. And they said, will you recant? And in essence, he says, Unless I can be convinced by the word of God and by sound reason, I cannot and I will not recant because church, you know, popes and councils have erred. And so part of this whole tradition that, that we as Protestants lean into is that it's not about councils and creeds and confessions. Now, those things do matter. 
It's not mm-hmm. to say that they don't have value, but it's to say that they are not of equal authority to the scripture because the Roman doctrine, the Popish doctrine is that, yes, scripture is our authority for faith and practice, but so is the church. And even went so far as to say the scripture has authority because the church confirms the can- canonicity or the, the authenticity of the books mm. therein. Mm-hmm. So therefore, the church has authority in and of itself innately, as opposed to the reform doctrine, which is saying, no, scripture alone is the authority. And anything else that we bring, either as church bodies, as denominations, in confessions or creeds, only has authority insofar as it accurately represents the, the teaching of Holy Scripture, because it's derived authority. It's not uh, imposed authority. Yeah. I got we, excited there. <laughs> we, it's funny. We, we, have, we obviously still have the Roman church in our culture today that we're dealing with, but now we're seeing this massive rise in another kind of church um, hmm. that— kind of does the same thing that the Roman church does, but in different ways. For example, uh, they're they're reducing the authority of Scripture, but instead of saying it's because of the church having some sort of uh, special authority or the Pope being the vicar of Christ, being able to speak on behalf of God, etc., they have this other thing, this other little pet thing that they love to reference, and that's private revelations. You know, God is continuing to continuing to reveal things to us personally and privately, and therefore, you know, the canon of scripture isn't necessarily enough. Um, and I always come back to uh, the John Owen quote, uh, that if private revelation agrees with scripture, it's needless. And if it disagrees with scripture, then it's false. Uh, hey. You know? So add to that, in scripture, in, in Deuteronomy, in Revelation, and Matthew, we're forbidden from yeah. adding or taking away to scripture anyway. Mm. So, you know, we're fighting this battle now uh, in the culture with both the gigantic... Uh, Roman Catholic Church, and then also this massive rise in, in uh, this it, you you can call it either Pentecostal or New Apostolic Reformation or sure. whatever you want to call it. Um, all these all these major church movements that are just filled with this private revelation stuff. Mm. Yeah, and I think you know we'll get into cessationism and continuationism in another episode uh, mm-hmm. to discuss. The gifts of the spirit, but as it particularly pertains here in Sola Scriptura, I'm, bre- I'm glad you brought that up because it's the same error. What yeah. what is happening here, regardless of continuationism or cessationism, the error of equating private revelation to some sort of scriptural doctrinal, like that we can now say, okay, well, thus saith the Lord. No, mm-hmm. no, I don't get to say that. I don't get to add <laughs> to the testimony of what God has said. I get to bask in and and plunge the depths of the word. There's a quote from uh, Augustine that I'm going to butcher, something to the effect of, I can see the depths, but I can't see the bottom. Like It's like you're looking, looking at scriptures, like looking into the ocean, like putting your head down, and you can see that it goes down and down and down and down and down and down, but you can't see the bottom of it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, why... Why do I feel the need to get something fresh? There's a meme on probably every single Christian meme page uh, that's circulated in the last five years to the effect of, um, oh, I wish God would speak to me. And then it's like the Bible sitting on your shelf. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is God's self-revelation. Uh, there's a quote in um, Robert Lethem's Systematic Theology in his chapters on scripture and tradition. And he talks specifically about this reformed doctrine of sola scriptura in the Reformation context. And he says, referencing John Calvin, the magister reformer, Calvin is clear that the authority of the scriptures derives from their origin and not mm. from the church. They, quote, spring from heaven as if 
as if there the living words of God were heard. So the scripture, according to Calvin there, is its authority is coming from God as if we're sitting there hearing God speak it in heaven. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Isaiah's vision of the throne of God and hearing this word. It's like, that's how we need to think when right. we come to this book. Uh, well, and he says, sorry, I'll follow real yeah. fast here. While Rome believed the Bible to be the indefectible word of God, it considered its authority to rest on the consent of the church, its only reliable interpreter. Calvin calls this a pernicious error to say that scripture has only so much weight as is conceded to it by the consent of the church, as if the eternal and inviolable truth of God depended upon the decision of men. Oh, man. Roasted. <laughs> it's so well, good. Yeah. Because that, that, that's the heart of the issue. As is. I'm saying, the, the Roman church or this private revelation thing where I'm adding to, the, to the, the, the words of the Bible is, well, God, that's great, but it's really only good insofar as I think it's okay. Sure. And yeah. it's like, no, 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 no. It is. <laughs> the word of God is what it says it is because God because of who God is. And that's why, like, you, you'll notice in systematics, um, some of them start with doctrine of scripture because you have to establish the word of God. Others start with theology proper or who God is because out of that, then we see that God has ple- is pleased to reveal himself in the holy scriptures. Right. Right. And so that's how we know who he is. So there's this tug of war. Uh, every systematic I open kind of has a different approach. <laughs> yeah. Well, sure. Uh, you have to have a foundation by which to measure the rest of your theology. Um, so it makes sense. Uh, when you referenced Isaiah, it uh, reminded me of Isaiah 8, um, which actually warns about hmm. the importance of having God's word be the authority. Um, it says in, I think, 820, to the law and the testimony, if they do not speak according to his word, according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Mm. Um, oh. that's, a, that's a hefty accusation and a hefty warning um, that the word has to be your authority. Mm. And, yeah, as we examine that, like, who are we to then come in and, and say, well... It's scripture and tradition. It's like, no, tradition is only is only efficacious or only authoritative insofar as it derives authority from its accurate presentation of what the scripture teaches. That's, right. you know, it, it may sound like we're just talking semantics, but there's a world of difference between yes. saying okay, these things are authoritative because they accurately represent what scripture teaches and saying, oh, we're just going to believe all these church traditions uh, because the church said so. It's like, no, we believe it because the church, like justification by faith alone, saved by grace alone, what we've already talked about, right? The sufficiency of Christ alone. These phrases, these solas, they're not explicitly written in most cases in the scripture, although some of them are, Um, but they faithfully represent the testimony of the word of God and God's right, self-revelation precisely. to us. And that expands, you know, that's going to be the theme throughout this series. You'll see us quote things. You'll see us quote theologians and confessions. But ultimately, all of these things, if you if you go back and look at them, the confessions, every line has a little footnote that points to the scriptures that they're using to prove that. Now, you may disagree with their right. interpretation, but they're saying based on these texts from the scripture, we believe this is the testimony of the word of God on this topic. And I think that we would all do well 
to have stuff like that. And unfortunately, most often we don't. And that's part of why I found uh, confessions so appealing. But initially I didn't because I mistook it for people bringing some sort of new Roman doctrine in. I thought people sure, were just sure. like, oh, well, the confession says this. I'm like, well, <laughs> why don't you just quote the Bible? And then I open the confession. I'm like, oh. All it's uh, doing is quoting the Bible. <laughs> surprise. Ultimately. It's like the Uno card. Reverse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, it's it's this is one of those doctrines that is so incredibly clear in scripture. Mm-hmm. The scripture is authoritative by itself. Um, I mean, you look at how many times does scripture to do do the apostles or, or do Christ say as it is written. Mm. <laughs> well, as it is written where? In the scriptures. <laughs> uh, you know, Romans talks about uh, learning because it was written for us. So uh, Romans 15 uh, says whatever these things were written for us to learn and then also to bring us comfort and peace and things like that. So it's just constantly filling us with as it was written, as it was written, as it was written, and then therefore, you know, these things. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mm. You you can't. It's one. It's one of those doctrines. Just like we we talked about in Christ alone, you literally can't escape it if you're reading the same Bible that we're reading. Right. Well, that was speaking of Christ alone. In uh, the Gospel of or the Gospel according to Luke in the fourth chapter, uh, he talks about Jesus' temptation in the wilderness that you just referenced. And I just wanted to read a little snippet of that because mm-hmm. what happens here? He says, "Jesus, verse one, he full of the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for forty days, being tempted by the devil." And just on a quick little side note, uh, I I was blessed to travel to Israel last year in the fall for a fourteen day trip, and I got to be down in the Jordan River, and the area around it is like, like that is some desolate land. Um, like incredibly desolate. Like I've never seen anything so just wildly unearthly um, and, and <laughs> grotesque. I mean, it's just sand and, and rock. Um, yeah. And so this is the context where Jesus is being driven into. He's not being driven into like uh, the Adirondack Mountains where it's lush and forested and, and difficult mm-hmm. in its own right. He's being driven into the desert. And he yeah. didn't eat anything for these 40 days. And when they were over, he became hungry. I like that the Bible puts that in there. Like, yeah. <laughs> and he became hungry. It's like, well, he, yeah. He, and in this, the devil says, if you are the son of God, a direct assault on the identity of Christ, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus said to him, no, I'm not going to do that, Satan, who as the son of God could just say that. But instead, what does he say? He answers him, it is written, man mm-hmm. shall not live by bread alone. And then the devil takes him up to this high place. But what's interesting is further on, after the high place temptation, Jesus still does the same it is written. The devil comes up to him and says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Um, I think that's really an interesting thing as we battle sin, because what happened in the garden? Satan didn't say, come with me and I'll make you like God. He said, did God really say? Yeah. <laughs> and what does he say? What does he do to Jesus? To the, the son of God walking yeah. about. Did you, did you really say that? <laughs> he, says, he says, for it is written. He, he verbatim yeah. quotes 
prophecies yeah. about about Messiah, and Jesus just shuts it down, not by getting into a big argument, not by he says it is written. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test because Jesus is showing us. And this is one of those areas where I think we can learn so much in our own spiritual warfare. Yes. Because above all, like, thank God, Christ has won the victory. Yes. And we still live in in struggle. And as we're sanctified in this life, there's going to be trials. Yeah. And the devil's going to come to us and say, did, did God say? Or bring verses up and say, well, look, the, the word says you can you know, go do this thing. And it's like, well, you're, you're missing the context there. <laughs> and what is the, the word also says, right? As Jesus mm-hmm. thing, it is written. Um, mm-hmm. Well, that's know. why I also like the principle of tota scriptura, mm. under, understanding scripture in its totality, putting oh, things in context, because you can, uh, it reminds me of that meme. It's like a little calendar, uh, a little scripture verse. And it says, uh, if you just, you know, if you bow to me, all of this will be given to you. And it says way less inspiring. If you know who said that, <laughs> you know, it's Satan, it's, it's that, it's that temptation, right. Satan talking to Christ. And, mm. um, so not only is it sola scriptura, but we also have to understand tota scriptura. We have to put things in context. We have to let the scripture interpret itself because if, if scripture is in fact our only sole authority, we can't really go to another authority to, ultimately clear things up if there's something that we're confused about we can get insight for sure but the authority of the authority is the authority um (laughs) well that's so uh chapter one nine or 1.9 of westminster is the infallible rule of interpretation of scripture Mm -hmm, is mm -hmm. the scripture itself and therefore yes when there is a question about the true and full sense of any scripture which is not manifold but one it must mm-hmm. be searched and known by other places that speak more clearly. And Precisely. the footnote reference there for those keeping track, I just closed the little booklet two seconds. And the footnote reference there is from Second Peter 1, 20 and 21 and from Acts 15, 15 and 16, which is, again, when there's a conflict, when we don't know, you know, if, if something's unclear, we go and examine it in the totality of the word of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, commentaries are beneficial. Commentaries are helpful insofar as they submit to the authority of the word of God. The same thing comes from preaching and teaching. Mm. The preaching and teaching is, is, is blessed, assuming it is under the authority of the scripture of God. Mm. Um, and I think, I think ultimately this, this question here that I'm about to read from the uh, Baptist catechism uh, kind of sums up kind of the point here. Um, Basically, what are we imploring you to do mm. <laughs> with this with this episode? Um, the question is, may all men make use of the scriptures? Uh, and the answer is, all men are not only permitted, but commanded and exhorted to read, to hear, and to understand the scriptures. Mm. Um, and that's summed up uh, in the footnotes here with uh, John 5.39, Luke 16.29, Acts 8.28.30. And then Acts 17, 11. Um, but I just wanted to read John 5. Uh, it says, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which they testify of me. And then it goes on. And then at the end, uh, Acts 17, it says, um, it's talking about the, the folks in Thessalonica. It says, You search the scriptures daily mm. to find out whether these things were so. Ooh. Um, so we want to exhort you to... Read your scriptures, spend time in them daily, mm. uh, learn them, understand them in context, 
and rely on them alone for your authority. Mm. Um, by all means, get insight, get uh, get outside sources. We want you to be tested, um, mm. but we want you, uh, as Scripture says, to test all things against right. the Word of God. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So good. This is spicy. Spicy. It is, it is spicy, <laughs> and it's and it's so essential to what we believe, because without the Bible, we don't we don't have sufficient knowledge of God. Only sufficient mm. knowledge to condemn us is what Paul says in the letter to the Romans. Right. right? That, right. That, you know, all these works <laughs> of nature are there, so men are without excuse. Now, I can't look at a tree and see that. <laughs> Uh, God from all eternity uh, foreordained these things to come to pass and that he sent his son to die for us, to take our place, and that Jesus is ascended and resurrected and is making all things new. And at the end of the age, he's going to come back and restore all these things and judge the wicked and justify those who believe in him on account of his own righteousness. Like, you're not going to get that by studying a tree, but what you do see by studying nature and these these other works it that's beyond excuse is that god is and we don't get to escape from under that but we need this uh what's called special revelation um we'll talk about this probably in the, in other topics once we get into more nitty-gritty but it, it bears mentioning here the idea of, mm-hmm. of natural or general revelation which is just what i'm describing where you you see the light of nature and you see all these things it's like wow this didn't come from nothing. Somebody created this. God, there is a God. I mean, we see this every everywhere in cultures around the world. People are driven to worship something. Mm-hmm. Like we'll get into apologetics later, but there's a little precept going on here. Like ev- everywhere we go, people have this urge to worship, but they worship that which is not God. Paul says, "Yes, right. Yes. They're worshiping um, these things that are not gods in the place of God, and so God gives them over to depraved mind. That's literally what he says in the in the beginning chapters of the book of Romans, and far be it from us to then say, okay, well, that's all we need. It's like, no, then God has given us his word as a special revelation that gives us all we need for faith and practice. It's not a science textbook. It's not a political textbook. It's what we need. Well, so obviously there are principles that can be derived. That's, but you know what I mean? It's not a political treatise. I knew with that nose, with that noise alone, I could get you to stop. (laughs) It's not a political treatise, but it, yes, the point of scripture is for our faith and practice under salvation. That is what God has revealed to us. Did he reveal microbiology and astrophysics in the scriptures? Not in a way that we could study and read. Now, granted, when you read the testimony of scripture, though, it's intriguing Mm -hmm. and indeed testifies to the perfection of the creator and the author of these words. When you see these ancient primitive cultures stating things that really didn't make sense at the time, you know, like uh, in the Old Testament law, there's things about not not bloodletting and and things that the most advanced societies of the time were doing all these things medically that we now know are bad. And the Jewish law prohibits those things. Yes. Like, how did they figure that out in the desert? Except (laughs) right, these slaves in Egypt in the most advanced civilization at the time. Wouldn't they have just adopted Egyptian medical practice? But no, there's this other th- other way that now we're like, oh yeah, that's actually true because science, um, but really not because science, because God. Right. Right. If you think about it, science is really just the study of God's revealed word in creation. Mm. I'm just going to throw that out there. Ooh. 
I love it. And for those of you who are listening, when we're speaking of scriptures, I just want to be clear. We're talking about the 66 canonical books uh, of the Old and New Testament. We mm. are excluding anything else, including the Apocrypha yes. uh, or anything else that might, uh, you know, you might hear. We should do an episode those, just on the Apocrypha. We should. That reminds me, there's a quote in uh, Herman Bavinck's Wonderful Works of God from his first chapter in Man's Highest Good that I was reading earlier. And he says, any science, philosophy, or knowledge which supposes that it can stand on its own pretensions and can leave God out of its assumptions becomes its own opposite and disillusions everyone who builds his expectations on it. <laughs> Savage. Oh, man, that was... As soon as you started reading that, I was just, that was hitting me, man. That Dude. was fire. And, and then, and then on good. the next page, he says, for knowledge without virtue, without a moral basis, becomes an instrument in the hands of sin for conceiving and executing greater evil. And then the head that is filled with knowledge enters into the service of a depraved heart. How true <laughs> is that when you look at history? Yo. We have some of the back. most... Brilliant scientists in the world doing some of the most wicked and depraved things. I think of, you know, the mm-hmm. scientists that were under Hitler, for example, doing sure. all kinds of de- horribly depraved uh, things. Yeah. Um, brilliant people. Brilliant men. Hmm. Uh, but totally, totally depraved. Right. And that is why we submit ourselves to the word of God as our only authority. The scripture says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Yes. Right? When we yes. when we recognize who God is and who we are, and we have that proper reverence and awe, that biblical term of fear, it's not cowering fear, it's not, uh, you know, a, a fear that causes, um, you know, d- anger or, or, or separation in that sense, but it's a, it's a proper respect and a reverence and, a, and an understanding that this is a holy and a just God and we are unjust and unholy rebels against him. And yet he has made yeah. a way. And we only know that because of the light of scripture. So read right. your Bibles. It's actually fun. We're talking about this. Uh, by the time this episode is up, we will both be on our way in our read the Bible in a year plan. Um, Indeed. But we're recording this before New Year's, actually. So surprise. Yes, we are. Yeah, um, surprise. <laughs> but yeah, what are, what are you doing for uh, New Year's, Justin, On that, or, or in this new year? What are you reading this year? Specific, like well, big overarching things. Yeah, so uh, I'm going to be reading through the scripture chronologically. Mm. Um, Chronolo- so I'm going yeah. canonical, like just Genesis to Revelation, or are you reading um, timeline wise? So it's Ooh. going to be like Genesis, and then jumping into Job, and then going on back into Genesis, My man. and so on. So an actual chronological, historical, lo- overarching look at the scripture. Yes. Um, so that'll be fun. I'm also going to be reading through uh, Kelvin's uh, Institutes, Ooh. which I'm also thrilled about. Um, and then there's a couple of different works of fiction that I'm I'm considering uh, just reading through for pleasure, but sure. um, still undecided on those. But those are the two big, uh, big things. And I'd like to also finish Beaky's Systematic uh, by the end of the year as well. So those before those volume three two major, hits. Yes, exactly. I want to I want to finish it so I can have it, so I have a good excuse to get volume two. <laughs> uh, so yeah, um, what about you? I'm also reading the Bible through this year. I am doing it just canonically, so Genesis to Revelation. Uh, I think maybe in 2021 I'll do another altar. I've, I've done a I've done a couple varieties, um, but this year I'm going to be going through with my ESV uh, 
journaling Bible. So I'm going to be highlighting and taking notes, which I never do because I hate marking up books. But this one is specifically for that purpose. So I'm really looking forward to (laughs) that. And then I, too, am reading through Calvin's Institutes of the Christian Religion this year, which is just a massive, massive book, uh, but really a a precursor to contemporary systematic theology. And Mm -hmm. Calvin isn't writing here to academics, which is important to note. He's writing to laity. He's writing to the church people. He's writing to the people who are living in the trenches and are dealing with all these things in life and all these opposing worldviews and ideas. And uh, I've read excerpts from the the Institutes. This will be my first journey through it. I'm going to be reading Henry Beveridge's uh, translation of the the final edition of Institutes because Calvin was always adding to it throughout his life. Uh, one of my... Uh, theologian friends made a joke about that. I said, wow, it's, I'm amazed at how crystallized and, and sharp his thought is. And he's like, well, you know, that happens when you rewrite a book five times. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. And I'm also, as I said, jumping into Herman Babink's uh, Wonderful Works of God, which is his his own abridgment of his four-volume dogmatics that he wrote for the everyday person. Um, that's where those quotes earlier came from. And uh, Westminster Seminary Press put this out um, they did a pre-release in December and they sold out of the first printing. So I think it'll be back mm-hmm. in February, but absolutely incredible, um, really solid approach, biblical. And for me, again, in this era of skepticism and militant anti-Christian, anti-scripture, anti-God world that we live in, it's refreshing to read other Christians who put up not only a robust defense of the faith, but an absolute demolition of other worldviews mm. and who yeah. who just take take the scripture seriously, that we have an answer for those who ask. I, I love that you say that because I remember growing up as a kid, as a Christian who was uneducated, um, but but still having full confidence in God and his word, just that I just was lacking my own knowledge. Uh, I remember often being frustrated when I would hear the defenses for Christianity by our typical modern evangelicals. Sure. Uh, they would come under attack and their defenses would just be very weak or shallow or both. Um, and I was always super frustrated because I'm, I know this is God's word. I know it's true. Why can't I express why that is? Mm. Um, why I have the confidence that I have. And then I've started, as, I, as, I've, as I've, especially as I've dove into Reformed theology, mm-hmm. started reading some of these great minds uh, in history and some of the more modern theologians that are just incredibly brilliant, um, just absolutely savagely destroying every other possibility in, in such grace. And, and it's just, it's so much more satisfying now. I feel so much more mm. confident and satisfied when I see all these other worldviews just swept under the carpet for the garbage that they are. Yeah. Um, and it's awesome. It's a, it's really, it's really satisfying. So mm. What a way to to welcome in 2020. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Uh, Jonathan Edwards already wrote all 70 of your New Year's resolutions for you. Just read them. <laughs> we should do that. We oh, dude, we should we should do that for a New Year's Day episode. Yes. Uh, New Year's resolutions. We got <laughs> some. <laughs> well, you heard it here, folks. Probably after the fact. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you all for joining us. Uh, This has been a really exciting journey. Next week, we'll be getting into the final of the five solas and the one that it's all about. Soli Deo Gloria. 
all for the glory of God alone. We're really looking forward to it. Thank you guys for joining us. Please like, share, subscribe, join us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, all that fun stuff. Check out our email mailing list for exclusive goodies uh, at distillingtheology.com. Join us on Patreon, where you can get exclusive video episodes, bonus episodes, and episodes before they're released, which is pretty exciting. Thank you guys so much. God bless you and Soli Deo Gloria.